Good morning. As some of you know, I can be a rather emotional person. The, uh, the scholarly facade is just that, a facade. Deep down, I'm a feeler. Big, a big crybaby, some might even say. Hearing a piece of music can bring me to tears. The smile of a child, especially when they give me a little gift, can just bring, you know, I'll just start gushing. Almost every Sunday, normally more in first service if you're more of a second service person, but I'll cry in almost every service during a sermon at least once or at least come close. But of all the times it's probably most ridiculous for me to cry, it's when I'm reading a children's book to one of my sons and it just grips my heart. And the book that always makes me choke up, and even when I was doing this sermon prep and rereading it, just to make sure I got the details right, I started crying just while reading it by myself, is the book by P.D. Eastman, Are You My Mother? Has anyone ever read Are You My Mother? It's in the Dr. Seuss line of books. If you don't know this book, it's a wonderful book. You should get it. Uh, but it's about, um, it begins with this picture of a mother bird and her egg starts to wiggle and she says, oh no, my, my baby's about to hatch. I need to go get a worm for my uh, you know, chick that's about to hatch here. So off she flies in search of a worm. And the minute she leaves the nest, crack, the baby pops out. And he looks around and he says, where is my mother? He's all alone. And so he goes in search of his mother, but he doesn't know what she looks like. So he walks right past her. And then he goes to a, a kitten and a hen and a cow. And he says, are you my mother? And each of them says, I'm not a bird. How can I be your mother? So then he asks this tragic question. He asks, do I have a mother? And then he gets frantic. And he starts looking for his mother. He says, I know I have a mother. I know I do. And he sees a boat down in a valley in a river. And he shouts, mother, it's me. The boat keeps going. He sees a plane fly overhead. Mother, I'm down here. The plane keeps flying. And then he sees an excavator. And he runs up to it. He says, this must be my mother. And so the excavator picks him up into its shovel. And then it lets out a big snort out of its pipe. And black smoke goes into the air. And he says, this isn't my mother. This is a terrible snort. Someone help me. Someone help me. And then the excavator gently carries the little bird, and drops him into his mother's nest, into the waiting arms of his mom. And she says, do you know who I am? And he says, you're not a kitten, you're not a hen, you're not a cow, you're not a boat, you're not an airplane, and you're not a snort. You're a bird, and you are my mother. And every time I read it, I choke up while reading to my boys, because I think it speaks to something deep in our hearts, because it tells such a true story that each and every one of us are born outside of our Father in heaven. And we spend our lives looking for our place of belonging, looking for our place of love, looking for that place of unconditional acceptance in the loving arms of our Father in heaven. And yet we're like this little bird running around to the things of this world saying, can you be my Father? Can you be that place where I belong? Can you be that place where I am loved? Can you be that place where I find out who I am? And so we run to the things of this world and just like the hen and just like the cow and just like the boat, the things of this world can't be our father. 
They can't be the place where we actually find out who we are as we learn whose we are. But thanks be to God, on Easter Sunday, we celebrate the great truth that our Lord Jesus Christ, the one true Son of God, was raised from the dead and promises to bring us into resurrection, adopted, new birth in the family of God so that we can finally find our home in the Father's love. We can finally find who we are when we know whose we are in Him. We can finally find that place of belonging and home and rest. And brothers and sisters, that only comes by the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, which brings us into our adopted hope, our new birth into life with our God. And so today, why, why, why we celebrate, why we proclaim, hallelujah, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Hallelujah. It's because it's the best possible news that we can actually be resurrected and born again into the Father's love. So today what I want to look at is 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, where we're going to first look at how we are brought into new life. Not by anything we do. The little bird didn't actually find its way home. It actually had to be carried home. And so too, and even more so, we can't find our way home back to the Father. He comes to find us and bring us home by the sacrificial life, death, and resurrection of his son. But not only that, we are resurrected into a life of hope and security. The question that we're asking is, not only are we God's children, but will he choose to love us forever? And the answer that we see here is yes and always. So if you would turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1 beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You know, in the ancient world, adoptions occurred to solve a problem. You know, there weren't ministries of adoption that said, we are compelled to bring children into our home. That didn't happen. Actually, Christians were the people that invented that. Rather, adoption in the ancient world, and that's the background context that Peter is engaging as he's writing in the power of the Holy Spirit here. Adoptions occurred to solve a problem. Adoptions occurred because a father, who is the head of the house, didn't have a son to inherit the estate. Every estate was functionally a family business. There were no businesses outside of family businesses. And so, oddly enough, girls weren't allowed to inherit the business in the culture of the times, particularly in Roman culture. So what the Romans would do is they would say, hey, I don't have a son, or my son has passed away, or I never had a son, so I'm going to go find a son. I'm going to go find a worthy heir of the estate. And so what you do is you go find the most worthy person you could find, someone who's intelligent and admirable, Maybe someone, uh, you know, you could marry one of your daughters to them. Whatever it might be, you adopted for a purpose, but it was to solve a problem you had. Did anybody watch Downton Abbey? Remember Downton Abbey back in the day? It was the excuse you could have for watching television and feeling classy about it at the same time, right? I'm basically reading a book while watching Downton Abbey, right? Um, 
So, you know, Downton Abbey, if you remember, Lord Grantham, he's got a bunch of daughters, and then he's, you know, so he needs someone to inherit the estate, but all of his nephews die in the Titanic in the beginning. So who does he go find? Matthew Crawley. And he says, hey, the estate's yours technically. And then thankfully he marries his daughter, saves the day. But what does he do? He goes and has to find somebody to come and inherit the estate. That's the background narrative. We often think adoption by our terms, this great act of grace that we talk about today. But that actually isn't the background narrative that the Bible was written in. But what do we see the countercultural word of adoption in our Lord Jesus Christ? Is it so that God, the Father, resolves any issue that he has? Is it so that he can say, hey, I, I need to adopt some people so they can inherit my kingdom and run the family kingdom? No. Rather, look back at our passage. What compels the Father to adopt? Not a problem that he has, but what? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What compels God to adopt? His mercy. He sees us as orphans. He sees us running around in this world seeking to find our identity, our belonging, our love, our purpose, everything about us in the things of this world and they don't satisfy us. All they do is wreak more destruction in our life and in his mercy, he says, I will choose to bring you into my family. I will choose to call you my own. Not because you are particularly worthy, not because you are particularly intelligent, not because you are particularly admirable, but because our God has chosen to love you. This is the pattern that we see all throughout scripture. This word mercy, it can't be separated from love. Do you know, the hard thing is interpreters do a really good job of the English Bible. But sometimes if you don't know Hebrew or Greek, you kind of miss that a word can mean a lot of different things. So often in the Old Testament, you see the loving kindness of God or the covenantal love of God or the mercy of God. And you'll see that interpretive decision, but you know it's all the same word? It's the word hesed. And it means the initiating love of God. The, God, the love that comes to those in mercy. The, God, the love that comes to those that are unworthy. It's his covenantal love. And so that first comes to who? Abram and Sarai when they don't have a child. They're in grief. And God comes to them in hesed, in mercy, and in love. When Israel is held in bondage in Egypt, God comes to them in hesed, in covenantal love, in mercy, and liberates them by carrying them through the waters of the Red Sea into resurrected life on the other side. When Israel is held in captivity because of their sinfulness in the Babylonian captivity, God sees their grief. And he mercifully in his love comes to liberate them and bring them back into life with him. What we see from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible is the way our God is described. The kind of God he reveals himself to be is a father who sees the suffering of his children and he goes to act. And what we celebrate this week is that he went so far as to send his only beloved son 
to live for us, to die for us, and to rise for us, to bring us back into life with him. And yet so often we wonder, does God see my suffering? Is God moved by my suffering at all? And then those moments we are called to look at the cross of Jesus Christ. This great moment in which he reveals the depths of his love for us. The lengths he is willing to go to save us. To send his very son, God the son, to come and live for us. To take our suffering and our life upon himself to give us his sonship. The question we're all asking is, am I wanted? Does anyone see me? Does anyone value me? Does anyone run to me when I am suffering? And the God who is our Father says, yes. I saw you in your suffering. I saw you in your pain. I saw you like that little bird running around, looking for love, looking for belonging, and I brought you into life. And today we celebrate how he brought us into life through the resurrection of his very son. What compels this new birth that he gives us? It's his mercy. Now, what does this new birth bring us? Go back with me to 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. You know, children are always asking two questions. They don't know they're asking it, but they're asking two questions. Mom and dad, is it good to be you here with me? Do I bring you joy? When I enter a room, does your face light up or does a scowl cover over your face? You know, especially little children, right? They learn to read a face before they're auditory. And we do that to this day. You can sense when someone's face lights up when you enter a room. We call that joy. Our brain is wildly outpacing what words can describe. You can sense when someone wants to be around you. And the question we are all asking is, Mom and Dad, do I bring you joy? Is it good to be you when you're with me? Or am I just a distraction and a nuisance and someone to be gotten rid of? And what we see in the gospel of Jesus Christ is that the joy of the Father to the Son and the Son to the Father, the great moment of the Trinity that never ends, that moment is joy. When the Father looks upon his perfect Son, he sees all that is good, all that is beautiful, all that is worthy. And he says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That moment that we see in the baptism of Jesus isn't just a moment in history. That is a moment that reveals the eternal moment of the Trinity. And then when the son looks back to the father and he gazes upon the fountain of all that is good, all that is true, all that is beautiful. He says, this is my beloved father and I find all of my joy in him. And then we believe that the Holy Spirit, who we call the love of God, 
is the perfect bond of love between father and son who is breathed forth as a third person, the, the Holy Spirit himself. And so what we see is the life of the Trinity is a life of that forever proclamation. It's good to be me here with you between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And do you know what Jesus does for us? Do you know what kind of resurrection we're brought into? Jesus says, you are resurrected into my place in that life. That love that the Father always has for the Son, in eternity past, in eternity present, in eternity future, that love is given to you. And that gaze that the Son has for the Father, that now becomes your gaze as you are united to your great high priest, Jesus Christ. That question, is it good to be me here with you? When we are recognized who we are adopted into in Christ Jesus, who we are resurrected into, the answer is always yes and amen. Because God the Father always says it's good to be with his Son. But what do we always struggle with? Always. We struggle with our wounds of rejection. It's some time in our life we have been told that we are not good enough in some way. And we have been told by someone, who you are right now is not who I want to be with. At one time in our life, we felt incredibly ugly. And so we've spent the rest of our life trying to beautify ourselves trying to make ourselves presentable. We curate a social media profile. Why? Because we want to earn the favor of others so that they say, it's good to be me here with you. Because we are running as fast as we can from those feelings of rejection that we had at some point in our life or still have. At some point in our life, someone said, it's not good to be here with you because you're just not clever enough. You're just not funny enough. You're just not intelligent enough. You don't bring anything to the conversation. And so we have spent the rest of our lives trying to be clever, trying to be funny, trying to be well-read and intelligent so that no one can ever reject us again because we're just a bit too dull. At some point, maybe in our lives, we felt poor. Those around us had far more abundance than we had and we felt excluded because of it. And so we give ourselves in a disproportionate manner to our careers, to our status, so that we will make others accept us. Because at one time I might have been poor, but no one can say that, that about me now. Our lives are often spent running around trying to gain status and notoriety because deep down we are still asking that question, is it good to be you here with me? And if you don't feel that way, I'm going to make you feel that way. And you know what that's like? It's like the little bird running around saying, are you my mother? Can I find my status with you? Can I find my belonging with you? And if you don't give it to me, I'm going to make you give it to me. And what does it end up for us? It ends up in a life of exhaustion, rejection, and a perpetually fragile identity. And what, is, what at the end of the day are we longing for? What are we longing for the most? What kind of acceptance are we longing for? We're longing for that kind of love that we receive when a mother and a father first hold their newborn baby. A baby that is first born and has done absolutely nothing but wail and cry. 
They have done nothing to be intelligent or thoughtful or attractive or anything. What have they done? They simply exist. And they are welcomed into the waiting arms of their father and mother who say, it's good to be me here with you. And brothers and sisters, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that is now who we are. Our father always looks at us and says, it's good to be me here with you. But there's also another piece to it. There's another question that we're always asking. We're always asking our parents, will you stay with me when things get hard? Is the bond that we have, the attachment that we share, strong enough for the difficult time in life? And many of us have either gone through a divorce ourselves or had our parents divorce and we saw a bond break. And so we're always asking the question, is this strong enough to hold us together? Does this love that we have for one another, is this bond strong enough to last forever? And with that question, we can go back to 1 Peter because there's another question that is answered in this passage about our resurrection life. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. Look at how he describes this inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. How does this bond that the Father have with, has with us, how is that revealed? How strong is that bond? It is imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. It is kept by God's power and guarded by Him. What is He saying? Those that I have chosen to resurrect, those children I have chosen to hold, I will never drop. That's the question we're always asking, isn't it, brothers and sisters? Has someone dropped me? Will I be forgotten? Will God lose interest in me and move on? And the promise of the gospel, the promise of resurrection hope, the promise given to you and the promise given to me is I will never forget you. We're always asking God, have you turned your face away from me? We're in this grief that we might be in. When, when the loss of a spouse occurs, when the loss of a child occurs, when the loss of status in, a, in, in your job occurs, you're asking, God, has your face turned away from me? Have I lost your favor? And what do we see on the cross? The father's face turned away from one once and for all. The father's face turned away from his son so it would never turn away from us. The father's face turned away momentarily from his beloved son so that it would gaze eternally upon you. All of our lives were searching for security of some kind, stable ground to stand on, whether that's in our careers or in our attachment loves and our churches or in our wealth portfolios, we're looking for security. But the only place of unchanging security is in the unchanging arms of our Father who holds us. Brothers and sisters, this is why we celebrate Easter. This is why we celebrate our resurrection hope. Because our God has said, 
through the resurrection of my son, it is always good to be me here with you. And I'll never turn my face away. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that this word would be the word that narrates our whole lives. Lord, would we look to you and to you alone as our hope. To you and to you alone as the source of our identity. To you and to you alone as the one place where we can know who we are as we know whose we are. Thank you, Jesus, for living for us, for dying for us, for rising for us, to bring us into this resurrection life. May we rest in your arms all of our days. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.